0: Now this morning uh, we're in Colossians, uh, starting um, a new book of the Bible and a new series. And this book focuses on the greatness of Christ, the image of the invisible, and all that that means to us as we apply it uh, to our lives. And it, I, I love this about Scripture: Scripture often is written to us as a letter. Isn't that interesting? This is a letter from Paul and Timothy to people in a town called Colossae. And, you know, we've kind of lost this art today, haven't we? How many times do we get letters in our mailbox anymore? You're like, yeah, it does not, like it doesn't happen. But when you do, how do you feel? Like it's so exciting. I actually got a letter. And this is Paul's letter written to the people of Colossae. It's a letter to us, And he, we're going to see three things this morning as, as at the beginning of this letter, and that is that he greets the people, and then he gives thanks. We've been singing that this morning, and then he offers up a prayer for them. And so he begins with a, a greeting um, in verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae grace to you and peace from God. You know, one of my real joys on Sunday morning, I hope it's yours too, I hope you share this, um, is greeting people. Like every Sunday, there's dear friends that I've known for years and years now, and then there is people that are brand new uh, that we get to meet and greet on Sunday morning, joining us. It's exciting. Sunday by Sunday, we have guests with us, and then there are Guests from years and years ago that come back and join us for a Sunday. This is an exciting part of what we do on Sunday morning. And these days we have new Spanish-speaking friends and we're learning to greet them in their language and sing in their language. Buenos dias, right? Hola. Como esta? I'm working on my Duolingo, right? Many of us are. Yeah, hola. All right, so yeah, it's fun. So some of you are really good at this, Pastor Jared. He we go to a Mexican restaurant now, and he orders in Spanish. I'm like, whoa, like pretty good, Jared. But Paul is greeting real people in real places, and and I love this about the Bible. Uh, Paul is writing here to those. People that have real names like us. And people that are struggling with things like us and learning how to walk with God like, like us. And he's writing as someone who years ago or before this letter had met Jesus face to face in a rather remarkable way. In Acts chapter 9, many of you know the story. And, uh, and Jesus said, you're going to serve me. And I'm going to make you an apostle. He calls himself An apostle in this text this morning and and this is uh, an important title that's been given to him and to others in the first century uh, people who were going to be people who wrote scripture that when they wrote they would write under the guidance of the holy spirit things that were perfectly true for us to read this is what apostles do We see that in 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, where it says that all Scripture is God-breathed, God-spoken. <laughs> and God never lies and never says something that's not completely true. And so we can trust this book and this letter that it's without error, that's coming to us, giving us perfect instruction on how to walk with Him. And these words are so important. It says in Ephesians Chapter 2, 19, and 21, that the household of faith, the church, builds itself on the prophets and on the apostles, on those who have given us these words. And this is why we study them. This is why we teach them. This is why we take books of the Bible and just walk through it. We're going to teach this book between now and Christmas time. But we teach it because these are God's words. And when we understand the book as a whole and its context, we Handle the word well and accurately. So we study this. Paul has written this book under the authority of the Holy Spirit. It's perfectly true for our instruction. And it says he writes with Timothy in verse 1. And Timothy was a brother in the faith. He was likely writing down the words. You kind of need a friend to kind of do the hard work. You know, he's just saying, here's what God's saying. And there's Timothy's writing her down, Right? And Paul had met Timothy in in Derby, we see it in Acts chapter 16, and they had become friends. And Paul even says, he's become like a son to me. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I mean, I've got some biological kids and I love them, right? They're dear friends. And then I've got a lot of sons in the faith that just I adore as my own kids. And then they're the joy of my heart. And, And that's the beauty of the church, and so Paul is, is writing, and, and Timothy's joining him. And, you know, it's interesting when you, when you study the story of Paul, I did this a little bit this week, getting ready for the sermon, you find that he had a band, quite a band of people with him, sometimes 20 or more that were with him, that he was discipling and teaching as he went along the way. It's a good example for us that when we go and do our life, bring people with you, let them see how you serve Jesus. Always be about disciple making. And he was doing that as he had Timothy with him. But he also writes in very real situations in cities. Paul was writing this letter from prison. Think about that. These were not nice prisons. <laughs> right? Today's prison would be like the Holiday Inn compared to what Paul was sitting in. I promise you. And, right? Not a nice clean bed and, and food given to you, but dirty and filthy, no restrooms, and it was awful. And here he is, he's writing. And he had a friend, a friend that came alongside of him named Epaphras. He shows up in verse 7. And uh, Epaphras was someone who had been led to Christ by Paul in in Ephesus, and, and now he was with Paul in Rome and caring for him. And Epaphras was from a town called Colossae, right? That's why, hence, he shows up here. And they were teaching things that were not true about Jesus. They were teaching philosophies that were not true. We'll see them as we work our way through the book of Colossians. And this really bothered Paul because Paul wanted the people to know God. And he wanted them to know his love, and they wanted, he wanted them to know how they could be saved and how they could be forgiven and walk as free people, truly enjoying God and worshiping him along the way. And Paul, when he heard things that were not true that would lead people astray and away from a good, healthy relationship with God, he was very upset. And hence, he wrote this book to correct some of those teachings. So Paul greets the people, and... Uh, and now we find in verses 3 to 8 that he gives thanks. Isn't that a sweet thing? Wasn't that sweet to sing that song? That was like 1978. That was written when I was in college. And I remember being in an um, in assembly of college students an a varsity group. About 20,000 kids singing that song in 1980-something. <laughs> So sweet, you know, and I said, can we can we bring that one back and give it a shot this Sunday? And they did, and I think it was a good thing for us. But to give thanks. Paul was always so very thankful. He said, in everything I give thanks. He recognized that every good gift that we have, it says in James 1.17, every good gift, everything good in our life comes down from God, the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow of turning and you know, when you're thankful, you're happier. You know, this not about yourself. Like, let's be a thankful people. It, it, it makes us happier. We, we so easily and so effortlessly just become complainers. Right? Do any complaining this week? We were talking in Sunday school. It was funny. We were thinking together, like, here's God up in the heaven, our heavenly father, and he's dealing with seven billion complainers all at once. Like, what in the world do you do with that? Poor, I mean, God can handle this, right? But poor God, like, I've put up with all of us complainers. Let's be people who are thankful and who give thanks. I I was thankful this week. I went and saw the eye doctor, and uh, he's been my friend a lot over the last couple years. Many of you know I've had five eye surgeries, and and he's been anticipating he was going to have to give me another shot in the eyeball. Anybody want to sign up for that? So I thought that was coming. He's been telling me, it's coming. You're going to need it. And he gets there and he looks at my eye. And I've been praying every day, God, don't let me have to have that shot. Oh, please. He gets there and he looks at my eye and he goes, it's looking good. You don't need a shot. In fact, it's good. In fact, I don't have to see you for many months now. And on I went. I danced out of there, baby. I was praising Jesus. (laughs) So... Here's what I thought we'd do. I feel a little bit like the Tonight Show. You know, remember Johnny Carson, maybe you're not, well, you're not my age, but he'd walk the audience and say, have them answer some question, right? So I want you to share, is this on? We good to go? Yeah, it looks good, Spencer. Thank you. It's not, what do I do? There we go. All oh, right, thank you. You're watching out for me, aren't you? So if you would like to share something you're thankful for today, raise your hand and I'll bring the microphone over to you. So, okay, so I'm gonna start wandering, raise your hand, don't be shy, like here we go, all right we'll have to stand up. You don't have to okay We just had an amazing day as a family yesterday. We went to a pumpkin patch and then we went up on a little hike up in the canyon. We have a three year old and six year old so the hike was funny, but it was just awesome. I mean, I was just in awe of God's creation and um, at the pumpkin patch, I was, like, tearful, and my husband didn't quite understand, but I was like, this is, like, what I always prayed for was yeah. my family and to d- go do things like this. And so amidst the arguing and real life of young kids, it was just a really beautiful, amazing day. Yeah, thanks, Jess. Children, you can raise your hand, too. All right, Ruby. I was hoping one, at least somebody. What you had to sleep yesterday. Uh, interpretation. A sleepover. Okay. Sleepover (laughs) is awesome. (laughs) All right. Who else would like to share something they're thankful for? I'm thankful for my husband. He's been really supportive the past few weeks, and I just don't know what I would do without him. That's awesome. Thank you. I'm thankful for having, uh, being able to help parents for the last few years and help them walk with the Lord. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, we have about um, 20 family members, friends and family that uh, live in Florida and I'm just really thankful that although there was a lot of destruction, there was no loss of life. To them. Yeah, yeah. And um, just on a side note, uh, uh, God took two of three of our family members um, out of Arcadia about six months ago and Arcadia's levees broke and everything was flooded so you just don't know how God is like providing for you and you're not even paying attention. Yeah. Wow, thanks Victoria. There's there's a kiddo run over there. Let's get to get my steps in, see? right. there you go. I'm thankful for having friends and family that live here and anywhere else. Wow, that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Two in this row Jacob and Nathan. Yeah. I'm just uh, extremely grateful for the way that God has surrounded us with Christian family here. We don't have any family in Salt Lake, and, and the community here has uh, embraced us and become our family. Yeah, awesome. And Jacob, yeah. I'm thankful I'm thankful for Javen coming uh, two days uh, back and uh, ha- and having a play date with him. We're just gonna pass this right down the aisle to that hand there. Yeah. I'm thankful for my host family, the Hidal family, that are helping me to know the c- to know the Lord. And we're glad you're here. Yeah. It's great. Anybody else?? I'm thankful for my mom because either though times are tough, she still um, finds a way to like make us happy. Yeah. Aren't moms awesome. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? One more? There we go. Last one. Last one. Last one. I'm thankful you didn't have to get a shot in your eye. Oh my God. <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> All right, let's give God thanks for how good he is to us, yeah. All right, so here's what Paul was thankful for. It says this, I am thankful for the word of truth, the gospel, verse 6, which has come to you. As indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So Paul was thankful for changed lives, for people that had trusted in Jesus and been made new. That's what faith in him does, it makes us new creatures. And that God was blessing them and they were walking in that truth. And it reminded me just how important this gospel message is, that it is that message through which we are saved. And I was talking to the men this weekend in my little part to speak and saying, not only are we saved by the gospel, but we're also sanctified by the gospel. If we turn around and try to get saved by grace and then try to live by the law, it's going to kill us. But we need to come back again and again daily and be refreshed and forgiven and given grace and walk in his love that comes through the gospel. And it is through this gospel that one day we also will be glorified and made perfect by his grace in heaven. And so I think sometimes we got, we got, like, got to look on for some new and fresh and deeper truth. Really, all we are to do is just go deeper and deeper and deeper into the gospel And know God's love in richer and deeper ways. And apply it to our lives in new and fresh corners of our heart that we haven't. And that is the means by which he not only saves us but also grows us. And it says that he was also thankful for a gentleman by the name of Epaphras. We've talked about him. A beloved servant and a minister who had shared the gospel in Colossae. And many people had found Jesus. And we were talking with the man again this weekend. We were looking at Hebrews 12 and talking about this cloud of witnesses, people that have gone before us that we have seen share their faith, live it out, and we're walking in their footsteps and we're encouraged by them. Like, let's think about that. Who, who are those people in your life that you're thankful for that brought you to Jesus, that have been an example for you, how to live for him I remember a youth pastor when I was sixteen years old that came to our church to the Seattle area, so excited about Jesus, and it just turned my heart toward christ and I've never been the same since a father, my father, a father who always was so generous he he was a, an executive. Made plenty of money, but he would always he drove a ten year old, nineteen sixty three Dodge Dart. No seatbelts, right in those days, and 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 he would drive through the neighborhood on Sunday morning, and pick up kids, for the junior high youth group, and take us to church. My friends they didn't have Christian families. My dad would drive through the neighborhood with a sixty three Darts, pack them in. Today it would be considered illegal. No seatbelts. Five kids in the back seat, jammed in there. Right, they wouldn't let you do this today. Take him to church, many of whom received Christ and are living for Him today. In fact, I was texting. We're all University of Washington football fans, right? So we were texting Friday night as our team was losing, kind of crying on each other's shoulders. But 50 years later, because they had received, received Jesus, we're still talking to one another about life, and that's something. I'm thankful for my dad. Who are those people in your life? And that's who Paul was thankful for, the the gospel message and those who had been in his life. He now comes to a section um, where we see him offer up a prayer to God. And this is a powerful prayer. I'll read it, verse 9 and 10. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So here was his prayer for the people of Colossae, that they would know the truth and that they would do it. That was it. That's a good prayer to offer up for all the people we love and we care about. That they would know the truth, that they would know and have knowledge, spiritual wisdom, and that they would obey it and be pleasing to the Lord in the way they act. Now, this word knowledge is really interesting. I'll just do a little bit of a deep dive here. This word knowledge is often used um, amongst those that just have general knowledge. It's called gnosis. You might have heard of Gnosticism. It comes from that. But it just means knowledge that is based on our personal experience or our perception. We look at something, we go, I think that's what that means. Someone else looks at it differently, thinks that's what that means, and we all disagree about what it means. That's, That's the knowledge that's spoken of in a general sense, based on personal experience or perception. But this knowledge here in spiritual wisdom is Epinosis. The word epi means epic, (laughs) right? Epic knowledge. Knowledge and truth that is unalterable and is absolutely true without any error. And so when we look at this book, right, this is epinosis. We get epic knowledge out of here because it's absolutely true. When I read this book, which is a human commentary on this one, this one has mistakes in it. It's just knowledge, good knowledge, sometimes really helpful. But it's not like this book, which is epinosis. It's epic knowledge. It's absolutely true. And so we can base our lives on what is here and trust it and base our lives upon it. And it is our job to discern what is true and what is not. And we do it by knowing this book. When we read this book, we study this book. Saturates our being, and we hear things in the culture. It comes at us. We go, "Oh, that doesn't agree with this, right?" Boom, we got it, right? But you got to know this book. My wife's in the banking industry, and I always kind of get a crack up at her because she looks at bills sometimes, like, "Hmm, I wonder if that's a fake bill, right?" Well, how do you, how do you know what's fake? She knows exactly what a true bill looks like. She has got that master. She, you know, a true bill has this, this, this. Look at this thing here, 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 here. So when you see a fake bill, you don't have to know the thousands of fake bills. You just got to know what the one true one is like. And it guides you to when something's wrong. And that's what we are to do with the word of truth. And we have the Holy Spirit, it says in John 16, 13, who leads us into all truth. It says in that verse, when the Spirit comes, he will lead you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. And so we're to know truth. This is the ultimate truth. We can read lots of other things, but it always is checked by this. And then we walk in God's way. And that was Paul's prayer that they would know the truth and that they would then obey it, to obey him and do what is pleasing to him. You know, we talk about the great commission a lot around here and our, our our command to make disciples, to make disciples of all nations. But then at the end, and it often gets lopped off, we're to teach them to obey everything that God has commanded us. We're to not only hear the truth, but we're to do it. We're to obey him. And Jesus said, whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. See, as we read this book and we set out to do it, God says he will show his love to us and show himself to us. This is a great reason to study the Bible and to seek to obey. In the middle of it all, he's showing us himself. So we're to do that. Then he says, and this is really important, I'm going to do a little bit more with this because I did it with the men's retreat here this last weekend. But he says in verse 11 then, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. How many of you find it easy to obey? <laughs> right? Yay! There's one. We need to hear, have him speak next Sunday. So... It's hard to obey, and so we need endurance, it says. We need strength from God and patience and endurance to do it. Hebrews 10.36 says, you have need of endurance. This verse has struck me this week. Jesus speaking to his disciples in Mark ten thirty. He said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. This is a good choice, guys, <laughs> right? Choose Jesus. Who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time and houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. In, and in the age to come, eternal life. He promises the reward of following him is a hundred times and more. And he also promises that as we seek to live, and live for him, it will come with persecutions and suffering and difficult. And you and I cannot avoid it. There is no way of avoiding that living for Jesus and obeying him and walking in his way and doing his word. Can be done without suffering and struggle and persecution and difficulty, and that's the way God wants it. He says, "Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, for you know that testing of your faith produces steadfastness." James one, Romans five. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, know that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces. Hope. God wants it this way, and he wants it this way for a reason. I was talking to a good friend in our congregation this week, and we were saying how everything that really is beautiful in this life, virtually all of it comes through heat and pressure and pain and struggle, right? Diamonds, natural gas, gas, oil, coal, (laughs) people. Jesus says this, Hebrews 5.8, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. If that's true of Jesus, that will be true of us. Our heart grows and is shaped by suffering. We become more tender and more loving and and more compassionate. It is this very thing that Paul is acknowledging that is good for our souls. It doesn't mean we want it or desire it, but it's good for us. And us Americans, we have such a bent for comfort and luxury, don't we? And, we? and we are blessed and we should be thankful, right? I mean, I want my preaching to be easy, right? I wish God would just give me one week where it was easy to prepare a sermon. Just get, but he won't give it to me. He won't do it. And he won't make your work easy or raising your children easy. He won't do it. I want you all to behave perfectly so my job's easy. You want your children to behave perfectly so your job is easy, but he won't do it. I was thinking recently, as I moved into my 60s now, you know, it would be nice if someone just give me $5 million. Then I wouldn't have to worry about anything. But God won't do that. He knows better, right? Because then I'll move to the beach and I won't talk about Jesus anymore. (laughs) There's a book that's been written recently called The Coddling of the American Mind, Um, a couple of writers who have noticed that college students in particular have become more anxious, have become more depressed, more suicidal, and they offer this, is that we have made it too easy for our kids We've tried to protect them endlessly. They call it safetyism in the book. and tried to make it so safe for them that they're never tested, they're never stressed, they're never taught how to go through hard times. And all this protection has made them weak. We want it easy. But God said, it's not good for you. Right? Paul prayed, take this thorn away from me, God. And what did God say? (laughs) No way. (laughs) Not taken away, right? In Judges chapter 3, the Israelites are having a struggle with all of their enemies. And they want the enemies defeated and moved out. And God says, I'm going to leave the enemies in the land to teach you how to fight. He didn't take the bullies away. (laughs) He left them there. So, as we obey... We need God and we need to depend on him and trust in him and be with each other and to do this together. And he closes, and Ben, you can come on up. He closes with this. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. That we are a kingdom together, a kingdom of priests that serve together and we have been given redemption and forgiveness, that we are loved and accepted and favored by God. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness, his word, his spirit, and we are his kids redeemed and forgiven so that we can walk in obedience. And even in our failings, even in the moments where we don't obey, right, which there are those every day for every one of us, he offers us grace. And in fact, it's in those moments that I think we sometimes experience this love the deepest and have our lives changed. Don't despair over your failings and brokenness. But we're called to do this together. We're a kingdom together. People who are to encourage and challenge each other, and that's why we gather on Sunday morning. And, and some of you right now are going through it, right? Some of you are in that season where you're not all that thankful, right? And we all are there. Some of us are in that season where it's a deep struggle and we need brothers and sisters to pray for us. And so this is a family, right? We we do this on occasion, but. We want to pray for each other, so I'm just going to have you this morning. If you're going through it, like this is your day that you're going through it, to just stand, and we're going to pray for you. And uh, let's let's just be a family together. Let's be brave to stand when it's a hard day, and let's be people who look around and see those who stand and and pray for that person this week. Now, there's 250 300 people in this room, and if none of you stand, I know you're liars. <laughs> one, two, be brave. Right. So, do notice who's standing and let's pray for them this week, okay? Let's all stand now. Father, I ask your blessing on these people who have stood this morning. I ask you to give them strength and courage and grace. I ask your blessing upon their lives. I pray you'll give them breakthroughs in what they're struggling with. And Father, for the many again in this room that uh, are also struggling, that didn't stand this morning, I ask that you would give us your grace, that you would walk with us. Give us hope. Thank you for how good you are to us. And for many of us now, we are, as we pray and we call out, we are waiting for you, God. To come through, and you will, you promise in your time, in the right way, you will answer. And so we choose to wait for you and trust as our good God, who's always up to good things for us.